Welcome to the first season of Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up in bold, courageous faith like Esther of old. She stepped up to lead when life was tough and hope was dim, but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet. They've all tackled difficult life crises head-on and triumphed. And now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Well, hey, everybody. It's so good to be with you once again. Did you know that one in four homes is single parent led and that 50% of American kids will live in a single parent home before the age of 18. It's not ideal, but my guest today has some solutions and opportunities for that. She is eminently quotable. My guest is a tonic, warm, like your favorite blanket, embracing like a stiff drink. Oh, you can't wait to meet her. She's a history buff and a tropical island votary. My guest parasails, skydives, snorkels, scuba dives, and has taken but not passed, but still she has taken pilot (laughs) training. Writing from the 100 acre wood farm in Indiana, my guest is in the USA Today, Wall Street Journal and Amazon best-selling author of 29, yes, 29 books translated into eight different languages, including the What to Do series, The Slave Across the Street, Slavery in the Land of the Free and Bonding with Your Child Through Boundaries. Would you please welcome my stunning and amazing guest today, Peggy Sue Wells. Hi, Peggy. (laughs) Thank you so much, Don. That was such a warm welcome. And I do want to like just, you know, have my excuse for why I can't pass pilot training. I could do all the, the physical parts. I can't pass the test because it has all this math and math is my four letter word and it trips me up every time. <laughs> well, math is a four letter word. I'm going to agree with you there, but, um, but I bet you could do it. You know, uh, you can do all things through God, but you know what? It's just maybe, you know, God says, lo, I am with you always. So we'll just keep you out of the air. That's okay. <laughs> Hey, it's so wonderful to have you with us today. And we're going to talk about this subject because it's really an important subject. And I was really blown away when I heard those staggering percentages just then, those facts that 50% of American kids are going to be raised in a single parent home before they're 18. So this is pandemic. This is what's going on in our in our culture, in our society today. But tell us a little bit about yourselves and what yourself and what got you into this whole area of single moms and raising kids and all of the things that you do. You know, you talk about the pandemic and these numbers were what happened before COVID. And we're really kind of watching to see for a lot of those people that are in a situation that hasn't been great, but they've had that, I can go out, I can go to work, I can travel you know, with my work, I can come back. And so it kind of like keeps things even. I think some people that have been homebound are gonna to have to be facing some of their issues that are either gonna to have to work them out mm-hmm. or it's gonna be that we may see some higher divorce rates coming up. We kind of laugh, I think there's gonna be a higher birth rate. <laughs> there may be a higher divorce rate too, depending on relationships and how they're going. 
So True. yeah, those stats were before even all of this started. And um, my story is that I uh, was raised by a single mom and I um, had really hoped that my marriage would last, it didn't. And so when my number seven baby was not quite um, two years old, um, our marriage broke apart. And so then I became a single mom at that point. And I have to say that was a really long time ago. And um, I you know, was talking with Pam Farrell, who's my co-author. She's been raised by a single mom. And okay. she's like, you have so much experience. And so I'm like, there are some things that I have done right, but there's some things that I've learned from some other amazing moms that work. Mm -hmm. So we decided we would put all the things that work together into this book which is the yes. 10 best decisions a single mom can make. I have that so, book. <laughs> oh, yay. And so I love the color, love the umbrella. And of course, Beautiful. the umbrella is, you know, God over us and then us over our children. And so what we wanted to do was just combine everything that works because we want our moms and her family to be successful. We want them to make good choices. We want them to make good relationship choices coming up. We want those kids to make great relationship choices as they get old enough that they're going to start families of their own. That's so true because what we model, obviously, more is caught than taught. And so what we model to our children is really what they become very often. They see it, this is how it's done, or they go the whole other way and say, I don't want anything to do with that. But yet in their judgments, they actually become exactly the same. So what did you discover in this book? I mean, who is today's single mom? Today's single mom, there are 15 million single moms raising 22 million children. And 40% of those moms are over 40 years old. Oh, wow. uh, most of them are single moms because of divorce and separation, okay. not because they, you know, just, I'm going to have kids out of wedlock, but the majority of them started out in a committed relationship and they had planned on this being their happily ever after. Mm. So there's a big shock that happens when it didn't work that way. Yes. Of those moms, three quarters of them have full-time careers, less than one half are on government assistance. And the ones that are, are generally there until they get their feet under them and until they can start supporting their children on their own. Less than half receive child support and the average child support that they receive is $6,000 per year. Oh my so goodness. that leaves a lot of responsibility on that mom in order to keep things afloat. And the biggest thing that I noticed too was there is a trauma that happens with these moms. And so, you know, you anticipated this happily ever after. And so usually when there's that breakup of that relationship, there was some things that happened that were just devastating. There were some betrayals. There were maybe some, you know, definitely a covenant that was broken between that husband and wife. But there were some things that were like, oh, my heart is broken. And in that heart being broken, we have a situation with trauma where our um, thinking part of our brain, which is the front part, goes offline. Because our brain naturally, the way God designed it, shifts back to fight, flight, or freeze when mm -hmm. I am in a situation that is not comfortable, one that's scary, one that, you know, things are happening that are maybe, you know, definitely not positive. And so we flip back to that fight, flight, or freeze. Then as moms are moving forward, there are a lot of things that are going to keep changing. Not only is the relationship different, but now we've got a lot of times some legal issues, we may have to have a new location, we may have to move, we may have to have a new address, might have to have a new job. We definitely now are um, trying to decide family and parenting and back and forth. And so with every holiday, with every phone call, with every, you know, going through this process of perhaps a divorce, 
And then the laws that come over the mom that tell her as a divorced woman, these are the things that you can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we have more freedom inside of marriage than we do outside of marriage from the person that we may even be trying to put a boundary for because things weren't going well. And so what happens is we keep mom in a state of trauma. And so that means she's not thinking. And so a lot of times we'll talk about a single mom that we see or that we know, or even ourselves on oh, her children. We're like, what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. What is she thinking? What is that child thinking? Well, the truth is they're not, they're not thinking because their brain is offline for the thinking part. They're in trauma and they have a hard time making decisions. And that is exactly why Pam and I wrote the 10 best decisions a single mom can make because a mom has to make the best decisions at the time that she feels least adequate to do so. So we use this as a stepping stone. Let us help walk you through that until you can start getting your brain out of trauma, back into thinking and back into a situation where you can be making good decisions for you and your children. Mm-hmm. So I'm surprised by that statistic because I would have thought that single moms were young girls who weren't married yet or, mm-hmm. you know, they got it, they jumped into a marriage because they got pregnant, had to get married. But this is very different from what I would have thought. You're, you're telling me that these women are accomplished women perhaps women that had goals and dreams and thought their marriage was going to last forever. And now they are in a state, if this is how they've ended up single through betrayal, through loss, through divorce, perhaps premature death of a spouse, but whatever has happened, it's created trauma in their heart and in their life, in their brain. And there, but they don't have the freedom not to make decisions. They have to keep living. They have to keep doing. So what does the, what, what are these women doing? What are the decisions that she is going to be faced with? What are the decisions she should be making? Yeah, we have to first make sure that you're safe. You know, is mom and children in a safe setting? And so that can be emotionally, it can be physically, financially, Those are things we want to make sure she's in a good situation where there is a safety and our children need to be safe emotionally, spiritually, and physically in order for them to develop as they need to, to be really good leaders who will then learn and lead and love well as adults. So first thing is safety. And again, that covers financially, spiritually, physically, emotionally. And so then after that, we need to be thinking about okay, what steps do we need to do to move forward? How do you not stay stuck? Mm -hmm. Because if I had it to do over again, I would not stay stuck. Just Mm -hmm. so stuck for way too long, but Mm -hmm. to be able to start moving forward. And so Mm -hmm. she needs to do that for herself and she needs to do that for her children. And so then what we've decided is like, what is the next best decision? And I have to say, there was one point where my children and I were just like, we're just kind of like, you know, dazed and confused, we're, we're, we're by ourselves. And so the tension is gone. So that's good. We're starting mm-hmm. to eat again and we're relaxed again. But there was like this heaviness, there's so much to do. And what do I decide? And how do I do it? And my daughter, my number three daughter needed to get her driver's license. And so she had her permit, but we need to do, you know, those hours of driving that you yes. do the practice time and mom has to be there. And And she came to me and she says, mom, I got to get my hours in. You know, I got to take the test because you have an amount of time to get those hours in. Then you take your test. And she said, you know, I I need to get some time in. And everything in me said, I'm so tired. You know, I just, I just don't feel like it right now. And I knew in that moment, the next best thing for me to do, the next right decision 
was to get that girl in the car because she has a life to lead. She needs to get independent. She needs to do the things that she needs to do. So I said to my kids, I'm like, okay, I'm taking your sister driving. And everybody in the house is like, we're coming too. <laughs> and so we all load up into my 15 passenger van. Cause when you have seven kids and you got to haul stuff, you need a 15 passenger oh, van. Oh, for sure. And sure enough, my daughter did exactly what we knew she was going to do. The reason why everybody wanted to come. She's very spastic with her driving, which meant you would like lurch forward and slam on the brakes and, you know, almost miss things and almost hit things. And it was like a Disney roller coaster ride. It was hilarious. And so we were laughing and, you know, we went to the school that was empty at that time so she could practice parallel parking. And it was just hilarious. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. And somebody, I'm not mentioning names, wet their pants. I mean, it was that much <laughs> hilarity. But we were having the best time. And I realized in that moment, my face was like literally hurting from laughing so much. Mm. And I realized it had been months, weeks before any of us had smiled. Mm. We hadn't been happy. And so making that next right decision was the next right thing to do. Mm. And it ended up turning out really well. My daughter got her license. She was able to go to college and get herself there and get a job and all that stuff. Perfect. So a lot of times it's like, what is the next right decision? mom that we need to make and just take one at a time because oh there's so much but just one at a time the next right decision that's great advice because even in the beginning when you said like the first step is just to make sure that everything is safe and I think for me when I went through my divorce after being married for 28 years and and my husband left the house the older two kids were out but my son was still there and I so wanted to make everything safe for him that, that in itself was overwhelming. I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that we had the finances that he needed to finish school. Well, he didn't. He dropped out. I wanted to make sure that things were safe in, you know, spiritually and physically. But the truth is, is that he was in trauma, too, because his mom and dad had been gone, went through divorce. And they that's all he had ever known was us together as parents. And so there's a lot of pressure there. So I can only imagine your family having that moment where everybody's kind of traumatized and you were able to break it up with a wonderful memory now, but the next right decision then. So just moving forward, doing something better than staying stuck, I hear you say. Move forward. That's so important to not stay stuck. And as we move forward, that is the best example we can share for our kids too, because our kids need to not stay stuck. Mm. Because in that moment of being the single home, I mean, we hear what society says, broken home, you know, <laughs> it's like, ah. And so we feel that we take that on as an identity, but it's not an identity. This is an experience going through the divorce, going through being in a single parent home. This is an experience. It is not your identity. And there's That's things good. that you're going to learn in this that are good for you. But I remember thinking as a kid, when my parents split up, I'm not enough. If I were enough, my dad would have cared to put the effort in and to want to stay and to make this thing work. I'm not enough. I felt the same thing then when my marriage didn't work. I'm like, oh, I'm not enough. Mm. You know, if I would have been, he mm -hmm. would have like wanted to stay and make it work. And I'm sure my children feel that a lot. Mm -hmm. And one of my daughters said too, she said, mom, the hard thing for us is that Everything we thought was true and she said, everything I thought was true in my life was a lie. Yeah. And I had to say, it wasn't a lie. I no. truly, truly loved your father when we got married. I truly, truly expected, you know, to have this life that would go on forever, happily ever after. 
it wasn't all a lie, but to try for her to sort out what was re what was what was real and what had turned out to not be true was very very difficult. So yeah, the children mm -hmm. are in a huge amount of trauma, and for the kids, bless their hearts, we then do through the government and through the laws of of, of you know the separation and the divorce, this shared parenting or this visitation mm -hmm. thing, and so then they're traumatized over and over and over mm -hmm. again because you have to leave behind where your bed, your toothbrush, you know, your friends, your regular schedule is here. Now mm -hmm. we're going to go over there where it's a different bed, a different toothbrush, a different set of, you know, scenarios probably won't get to get back and do your baseball practice, even though if the parents have been together, you would have gotten to, but, mm -hmm. you know, and so it just gets, because, and then, you know, the bicycle visit, this house can't go to that house and the Christmas gifts that came at this house can't go back home with you, even though I've told parents over and over again, whose does it belong to? Right. Who does when it belong give, to? When you give birthday gifts and Christmas gifts to this child, that is theirs. There's no strings attached. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. If they want to take it back and forth, it belongs to them. Let them do that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, again, we are traumatizing them over and over and over again. And then we wonder why they're not making good decisions. It's because they can't. They cannot. We have to help them get a foundation so that they know to make the next right decision that they're going to be able to be okay. Yes, you said something really powerful because, you know, I didn't think about when we say I'm from a broken home, that label right there yes. would make you feel then that I'm broken as a child. Right. I'm broken as an individual. And I think that's wise to think about maybe some new vocabulary because that is not an identity. And, and yet we they children will definitely take that on when they go through what you just explained the back and forth and then this and that and they begin to feel no that's who I am I'm broken right. and the so. thing that's bizarre about this back and forth sort of thing we as adults would not do that we wouldn't do it we would know it was unhealthy we're going to be like you're not going to do this to my life you're going to do this to my emotions and yet we're doing that to our children and it gets even more sticky than when they've got some weird habits that you don't know about. So we're trying to, you know, help our children know and be safe in situations that we don't have any control over who's coming into their life, depending on where they go when they're on these visits, these visitations back and forth. And so that gets really sort of awkward for them, too. So we're definitely putting them in a situation where, where we are actually, we're kind of taking their voice away. And then mm. we're telling them that even though sometimes there was a boundary put down because a particular parent or some particular decisions were not good, we're saying you still can't have that boundary. You still have to interact with someone who perhaps wasn't safe or perhaps isn't healthy. And so it's, it's this mixed message for our kids. And it's like, I can't handle that as an adult. I don't know how to do it for a child and how to help a child to do that. Except one thing that I would notice is that a lot of times with the visits too, when the kids come back home, I would just make them popcorn and you know hot chocolate and we would sit on the, the couch and we would watch a comedy movie and just let them you know, decompress. That, mm -hmm. Yeah, they have to make that transition and not mm -hmm. to be asking, so what'd you do and what was they doing and what was happening? Because the kids realize they're in the middle and depending on what they ask and what is asked and what is sad can cause everybody to like, you know, you know, just ratchet up emotionally and that's not good for them. So it's like trying to respect them as children and as humans too and help them to make their way through something that's very, very awkward. 
So complex. So I'm hearing that if if the mom or the single parent can make the next right decision, then the children are in alignment with good decision making and they're going to reap the benefit of that. What's the next best decision to make? Here's the one that changed the dynamic of my family. And that is we're dealing in a situation like this with a whole bunch of rejection because mom feels rejected, maybe dad feels rejected, kids feel rejected. So what ends up happening, let me give you a story. There was one morning, my daughter Hannah was home. It was just her and I, and she's a teenager and she gets up in the morning and she was just grousing around the house. And so I made her tea and pancakes and told jokes and she didn't laugh and she didn't drink the tea and she didn't eat the pancake. And so I thought, gosh, she'd rather be anywhere on Saturday morning than here with me as a mom because I stink as a mom. Hmm. That's when I'm feeling rejected. That's what I told myself. So in that moment, I'm feeling rejected. I don't like feeling rejected. So then I start feeling resentful about that. And then I notice, well, she's not making eye contact with me. So, well, fine. I won't make eye contact with you. You know, and you're not talking to me. Well, fine. I won't talk to you either. And so we go from rejection to resentment to resistance. So if you've ever given someone the silent treatment, if you've ever refused to make eye contact with someone, you know exactly what that is. So then the next thing after that is I'm sitting there as she's pushing her pancake around the table on the plate, not eating it. And I've got all these feelings going through my mind. It would have been super, super simple for me next to say, you know, Hannah, like, have you checked your room lately? Like, you know, when are you going to clean that up? When are you going to clean your bathroom? How about those grades? You know, are you keeping that homework done? Keeping things up above that C level that you need to? Do you see those stilettos, those little barbs that would come at her? That's the revenge cycle. That's where I felt rejected, which I don't like. So I'm resentful about that. And then I go into resistance. And then after a while, I'm sitting in my resistance and I'm like, this really hurts. And I want you to know that I'm hurting. So to let you know that I'm hurting, I'm going to hurt you. And then you'll feel hurt and then you'll know. Well, then what happens is then it goes into a repeat because I would say something to her, which now she feels attacked. She felt those barbs. So now she's going to, you know, back up. So now there's more distance. And so then we're in a cycle of repeat. Mm -hmm. So it starts with, these are the five R's that destroy a relationship. It starts with rejection, resentment, resistance, revenge, repeat. Mm. So luckily I was learning about this because there's that scripture that says, as far as possible to have peace with other relationships and other people. And I'm like, well, God, I'm obviously doing my part because (laughs) I'm doing a good job. It's got to be all of them. Mm -hmm. They're the ones you need to deal with. And then I started noticing this kept happening in different situations. You know, family gatherings are tough and, you know, just relationships. And then I'm talking to my mentor. And after we've talked about six months of people in my work and people at home and my neighbors and on and on, she finally said to me one day, you know, if you want to really fix this stuff, we can like get, you know, we can get down and do the work. And I said, you mean me? And she's like, you're the one common denominator in all of this. And so I thought, that's it. yeah, <laughs> it's like, if I'm supposed to be getting along with people, but things, relationships are not working. I'm the common denominator. So I said, mm. God, what is it? So this is when he showed me this. So in that moment, at, when I would have gone into revenge, when I would have said, Hannah, how about getting that homework done instead because I was learning this. I said, Hannah, the story I'm making up in my head right now is that you'd rather be anywhere else on Saturday morning and that I really stink as a mom. And she kind of like, you know, looked up from pushing her pancake around and she kind of like blinks and kind of comes back into the presence. And she says, mom, 
I just found out the little boy I babysit for has leukemia. Oh, goodness. This had nothing to do with me. Wow. Nothing. Right. But I made it all about me. And so mm -hmm. that's when I learned that first action of something that is said or not said, done or not done, that then I take as a rejection. The reason and the moment I know that it's rejection is because I make up a story in my head about right. it. Mm -hmm. And that fictional story that I make up becomes my reality, but it's always negative. It's never good. And so that rejection and that story in my head becomes my reality. And based on my reality, I go through those other five R's mm -hmm. until we have damaged relationships that will never repair again. So the first thing that I learned is that when I first feel that rejection is to stop and go, what are the facts? Mm -hmm. What are the facts about the story? If I would have looked at that and said, you know what, Hannah's browsing around the house today. And if I would have left it there, it would have been fine. I wouldn't have gone down those five R's. And so over and over and over again, my girls and I now will go back and forth to each other. And I'll say, you know, gosh, you know, I made a phone call. Nobody's called me back. I don't know if they're coming. I don't know if they're going to do it. And my kids will go, mom, what's the facts? And I'm like, oh, the facts are I made a phone call and I haven't heard back. Those are the facts. And so when I stop there, mm -hmm. then we can just move forward. And so when I notice that I have gone into story, then I know I need to go back to the facts. When I notice I've gone past story and now I'm in resentment, you're going to hear that in my voice. I'm going to say, well, she needs to, he should, I'm mm -hmm. not perfect. But when you hear that in my voice and in my vocabulary, I am in resentment. And so when I hear it, I need to know I need to do something different. So I shift to gratitude. I'm mm -hmm. super glad that mm -hmm. this person is this way. I'm really thankful that this is what's happening. So when I flip to the gratitude, then I get out of the resentment. If I notice I'm in resistance, I'm not making eye contact. I'm giving you the silent treatment. I see you at church, but I pretend I didn't. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, okay, I need to engage. And a lot of times us as women, we'll notice somebody's given us the cold shoulder. And I'm like, I don't know why. But I've obviously done something that that person made up a story about. And they think I have you know, been unkind. And it's like, no, I was just thinking about my friend who's sick. And in the hospital, I wasn't even noticing that you were there. I'm sorry. So we have to then engage. So if I make eye contact, engage with that person. And sometimes ask. The story I'm making up in my head is, and they'll just like be like, I don't know where you got that, but that's left field. And then the revenge. Sometimes actions and words that really do hurt us. And then I want to hurt somebody back. And so I've realized I need to shift that and I have to be generous. So if I'm thinking about being unkind to Hannah, I need to then instead turn and be generous to her. And there are times because we've been through the single mom cycle, there are times when people have been intentionally unkind mm. to you and to me and intentionally unkind to my mm -hmm. kids. And when that happens too, I have to just go, you know what? Well, that's them being them again. Mm -hmm. And then not take it personal. They're allowed to make their decisions. And then I still have to be generous, but that person might not be the person to be generous with. That's mm -hmm. not the one, but then I need to go be generous somewhere else. Otherwise I become bitter. Mm -hmm. So that generosity is what takes away that revenge cycle. And then the repeat, how many times do we think, oh, that aunt, you know, she's always annoyed with somebody in the family. Who's she not talking to this holiday? We start to expect this repetition of somebody being unkind to other people and, and we allow it. 
And instead, that means I'm bringing my baggage and then I'm doing my judgment. So if we're repeating, it's because I'm having judgment about somebody. I'm judging what they did, didn't do, did say, didn't say. And so I have these expectations. When I show up to you, you should do this and you should do that. So to stop the repeat cycle is just to release all of the expectations that I have on someone else. I don't want them to expect anything from me. So I need to not expect something from other people either. And so that's how we get out of that five, you know, R's that destroy our relationships. And so when you're in a single, single mom home, we have so much of this baggage. We have this, this underground cesspool of hurt that we're trying to make our way through. We have that trauma. And so to not add to it, it's really helpful to just stick with the five R's and not make up a story and just stick to the facts and stay out of those five R's that are going to destroy our relationships. Yeah. And those five R's, those can obviously be applied to any relationship that you're in. My husband and I just did a marriage conference this last weekend. And I'm thinking those tips of those R's right there, those are cycles that we even see married couples engaging in. And if they could interrupt those cycles, we talked about in the marriage seminar, coming back to that, that one that you talked about, make the most generous assumption you can make about this other person, because you don't know what's going on in their mind. And why is it that when we tell a story about somebody it's always negative. It's always negative. It just, and if we ta- and whatever we make up about ourselves is always negative. It yeah. we just don't tell good stories. That's a good place to start reframing our own thinking, isn't it? Make the most generous assumption you can make about somebody and le- and let it go. You're right. Get out of storytelling and and judgment making and stone throwing and you know all of those things that just lead us to unmet expectations. It's really important. So these if if a mom is doing these kinds of things in her home, well, any person, but I'm thinking you're going to have some pretty great relationships, at least to the best of your ability, that is creating a safe place for your children emotionally, psychologically, because they're, the kids feel safe with their emotions and, and their feelings, their voices being heard. And we can see that as moms, because like, particularly with my youngest, um, I will talk to her and I'm just like, da, 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 you know, t- whatever. And all of a sudden I see this change on her face and I'll be like, what did you just hear? And she says something like, well, you said you didn't like this or you think I'm stupid. Or you-? And I'm just like, oh, you know, and in the past I would have said, no, I didn't. You know, right. what I've learned by doing the, 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 the five R's is to say, I understand that that is what you heard mm-hmm. because remember those stories we make up in our heads so easily. I make up stories. She heard a word that triggered something, something. and that's mm-hmm. what she heard. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to say, I understand that that is what you heard. That's not what I intended. So let me try again. And so then mm-hmm. I'll restate it in a different way. And then I'll say, what did you hear now? Until we finally have that agreement. I have another sweet friend and she will occasionally after we've been together you know she'll send me a text sorry I was so negative or sorry I you know said something and again I I know I never take anything that she says oddly and so I was thinking about that the other day and I'm like 
why is it that I don't? I just know I'm safe with her. And I ended up texting her back and I said, you know what, Barb? I never take anything that you say negative because I know your heart. And I know your heart is for me. I know your heart. And so that's what I try to say to my kids. I am verbal. I process everything through my mouth. I don't know what I'm thinking until it comes out my mouth. You're going to hear stuff. And so I'm like, please understand my heart is for you. And when my, my children have gotten married and I have said, you know, I have six daughters and one son. Oh, and I have, I have said to these in-laws, these people coming into our family, I remember one time, the very first young man who came and wanted to ask for one of my daughters to marry him. And he took me to lunch, really nice lunch. And um, we, you know, he, I, he said, I, I'd like to marry her. And I said, okay, well, I have some questions. And he's like, okay. And so for an hour, I pelted this kid with questions. <laughs> What's your relationship with the Lord? How are your finances? What are your plans? You know, I mean, I just did the whole thing. And he was very eager to like, you know, just be very upfront. And so finally I said, okay, this is the most important question of all. And he got really ready. He just, you know, he braced. And I said, how do you feel about a very opinionated mother-in-law? <laughs> and he said, I've noticed that about you. <laughs> and I said, yes. And I said, please understand, my heart will always be for you. My heart will always be for you guys to succeed as a family. Yes. So anytime you hear something come out sideways, and you will, because I just do that, please know my heart is for you. And so if you need to come back and go, whoa, that sounded like this, or if you can just go, okay, I know she sounded sideways, but I know her heart's for me. I said, either way, but please know I'm for you. And that's what we need to assure our children. And as moms, we're going through tough times. We're making our way and we're not going to always do it right. But it is important for them to know our heart is for them. And then there's that security. Security, what a beautiful gift that you can give your children. And I love the scripture that says, you know, love covers over a multitude of sins. And I think at the end of the day, what you're describing is the better way. It's how to love our children mm -hmm. unconditionally. And when we're loving them, even if you and not we are flawed, we're going to make these mistakes. But even when, not if, even when we do that, They'll see our heart. They know that we love them, that we're for them. And don't you think that makes our children for us? They want us to succeed as a good mom. They do. They really want to see us do well and they want to be proud of us. And my daughter said, mom, every kid wants to know that their mom is proud of them. And as the kids are adults, um, we want to know that they're proud of us yes. too. We know when they're grown and you know that we probably ought to write another book about being the parents of adult children, yeah. because it's not the same right now. No. You know, it's not mother child. Now we are adults together, which means I only have three responsibilities and that's to pray for them, to love them and be their cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And if they ask for my feedback, fine, but you know what? It's not my responsibility and it's not my choice of the choices that they're going to make, you know, what house they're going to buy and where they want to work and where they want to live and how many kids they do want to have and how many they don't want to have. And that's them, you know, and so it's for us to support them. And when I realized I can let go of that and just love on them, mm -hmm. oh, that was a relief. <laughs> what a beautiful day. Well, this book sounds amazing. And the five R is such a powerful tool. And one of the things that I'm hearing as we're closing I'm hearing a lot of things. You haven't said the word, but it sounds like good boundaries. Is that one of the decisions in the book? 
Absolutely. You have to have good boundaries. And number, the number four chapter, I think, is all about the five R's. I think it's worth the price of the book. But yeah, yeah. in all of the decisions that we're going to make about our finances, about our home, about our education of our children, about you know everything that we're doing, there is very strong boundaries because that's just wise. That's just wisdom. Yes. Jesus had good, strong boundaries with people. He loved them. And he also had healthy boundaries. You bet and he did. in that context, it allows other people to come up and be healthy with us. So having healthy boundaries is really key. And I think that is one of the most loving things that we can do is being consistent and being consistent with those boundaries, because that gives parameters for younger children. My children are grown and adult children, too. You need boundaries with them. But specifically, when the kids are little, those boundaries spell safety and love, I think. And when you know your boundaries, you truly have freedom and you can flourish and I just want to thank you for being on today. Tell us where we can find your amazing book. Yes, yes, you can find the 10 best decisions a single mom can make at obviously, you know, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and any place that you find good books. And then also um, as a companion for this, because I don't want to just leave the moms with just this. And then they're like, okay. But if you go to singlemomcircle.com, there's a website. And Pam and I, my co-author, we are just uploading all kinds of good healthy resources for moms it's just there and it's under all the different categories so if you're there for fitness or if you're there for family if you're there for dating you know it's all there just pick your category and just enjoy the the resources that are there so that singlemomcircle.com the book is available there also on facebook we have a single mom circle facebook community and you're welcome to join us there Wonderful. Thank you so much for your heart and your passion for single moms and for single women. And uh, we're just praying and believing that this book is going to just find its way in the hands of every woman that needs it. And maybe some men too, they can sneak a peek at it too. But the yeah, five R's, like you said, right? I, I had one dad who's like, I'm getting this for my daughter. She's a single mom. You know, I've had some dads that have stepped up and said, this is helpful. I, you know, I want to support my daughter. So absolutely. Beautiful. Parting words for any of our listeners today. Yeah, parting words is, you know, we have the ideal of, you know, what we want our life to look like. And sometimes our ideal is the ideal, but it's not our real. And in our real is where Jesus is. And sometimes when you're like, this is too hard, I don't have the strength. And people say, oh, God never gives you anything more than you can handle. That's a lie. That is not true. God gives us all kinds of stuff that's way more than we can handle because he's our strength. And then I just lean into him and he's like, I got this. I will carry you. And he miraculously just holds us like he promises to do in scripture. And then all things that he does for us are good. Take this time of singleness, press into the Lord, mm -hmm. use it to heal, mm -hmm. use it to become the person that you would want to spend your life with because mm -hmm. we got some yes. work to do. And yes. so please do that. Mm -hmm. Those are such great. Listen, friends, you've got to listen to those words of wisdom. Take your time and become the person that you would want to spend your future with. God will walk with you right there in the midst of the pain and the hurt and the betrayal and bring you out on the other side. We're, I, I am a testament of that. Peggy Sue, you are living an amazing, fulfilled life. A mom of seven children and all your kids are thriving and doing well. That's a testament to you too. So Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank and you, for all of you listening today, I have a question for you, modern day Esthers. Is this your moment to arise?
I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you found value, make sure that you visit ariseester.captivate.fm. Like us, love us, and review us. And hey, want to join the movement? Visit us on thearisemovement.com to get connected. And for more information about me, your freedom coach and host, visit freedomgirlsisterhood.com. And while you're there, take the 60-day freedom challenge. You'll be so glad you did. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.